And I mean, like, everyone's trying to tell me their issues, and I'm like, bitch, can you just cue up my drum? Welcome to Rebel Girls Book Club. I'm Harmony. And I'm Maggie. And we're here to take an intersectional, feminist approach to books from all over the spectrum. Bestsellers, we've got you covered. That one book from English class you hated while you read, but you can't forget? We've got that too. Comic books, nonfiction, it's all right here. So grab your tea, grab your blanket, and let's get rebellious about your favorite new reads. Hello, and welcome to Rebel Girls Book Club. I am Harmony. I'm Maggie. And we have a super special guest with us today. What up? (laughs) What's your name, special guest? I'm Megan. Sorry, I was a little starstruck. Yes, I'm Megan, and I'm here to talk about zines. Yay! Yeah, so um, I'm kind of an artist. I paint... I collage, um, but that's kind of like a hobby now. I went to art school and then I kind of switched careers. So right now I'm a data analyst. I'm about to start an internship at the MBTA doing their data visualization. So like art for numbers. What else about me? I'm in the Boston area. I'm currently in Texas right now with my family um, just because I figured out a quarantine where it's nice and toasty. What else can I tell you about me? Can you tell us what the MBTA is for our non-Massachusetts listeners? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, That's the Massachusetts Bay Transportation Administration. So, like, when you're in Boston and you need to get from one place to another, you hop on the T, which is the MBTA. But, yeah, I mean, like, the MBTA is doing a lot of cool stuff working on trying to get cars out of Boston because just the gridlock it's a lot in part because people are reluctant to use the T. Working on the commuter rail. It's cool stuff. So I'm trying to get ridership up. Yay! That is good. Reducing cars, right? Yeah. I mean, if you've ever tried to drive into Boston at any kind of hour that could remotely be considered rush hour, it takes you three times as long as it should. And it's just a massive problem. So they're working on cutting down on that. One of the times I've been most convinced that I was truly going to die while in a vehicle was the first time that my mother drove through Boston. So, like, I get you. Yeah, it's it's scary. It's scary. But maybe one day. Do you want to talk about how you know us or are we just going to gloss over that part? Oh, my God. How do I know Maggie? We met in eighth grade. Because our parents were nervous about us going on the Washington, D.C. trip because I had a peanut allergy and Maggie had asthma. And from there, it was like, well, not, well, (laughs) it took us a bit. Megan and I, Megan and I met in eighth grade. We were like peripherally aware of each other. Then we were sort of paired together as these like two children who could not function outside of their parents. Like, yup supervision because of health reasons but we became as close as we are in 11th grade and megan has sort of been yeah in anatomy and physiology and then uh megan has known harmony since our freshman year of college because she was sort of along for the ride in many ways during my college experience it was so fun it was so fun i i miss mcla probably just as much as you guys so (laughs) maybe not right now they're they're going through some shit are they really (laughs) Yeah. Like, 
they're disappointing us as an institution, but they've been doing that for a while now. As yeah. I said, welcome to Northeastern. Northeastern disappoints me on the fucking daily, man. Ugh. All right. Gotta do better. Hate Everybody. College institutions. Listeners, right now, shout out your least favorite college institution. <laughs> A moment of silence. Out loud. Right now. Do it. <laughs> Scream it. Wake your parents up. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Um, All right. <laughs> organization. We can do this. Okay. So what do we, how do we want to start this? Because when we originally thought about doing this podcast, it was before the George Floyd uprisings. And now we are post George Floyd, Floyd uprisings. They may still be going on when this is released. And so we kind of want to keep that in mind with all of our future podcast episodes. So should we go around and talk about like how we view activism in a new light? Or should we talk about activism within zines first? Or what do you guys want to do? I mean, honestly, I think the topic of activism in zines is just going to naturally unfold because that's pretty much what they are. I think like only in recent times has it unfolded to like a do whatever you want art form. So I like the first idea. <laughs> okay. So let's talk about how we're viewing activism differently post George Floyd uprisings. Who wants to start? Yeah. I request not to go first though, because I need to gather my thoughts. I can go first if, if people need to gather. Okay, let's see. So for listeners, I used to be a journalist, as I think you all know. And that kind of gave me a cop out when it came to a lot of activism-y things, because I couldn't showcase my opinion really at all. And since I've reached my mid-20s, I've been practicing showcasing my opinion in a public arena more. And I just kind of still thought that it was okay not to do much other than that and vote and occasionally sign petitions because at least I was writing about stuff and therefore giving it attention. And when the George Floyd uprising came about, it really showcased me that I do have power to change things and that it doesn't take that much work to call your representatives up on the regular and to sign petitions and to disseminate disseminate information and to go to rallies and to meet with other organizers, even though it can be a lot of work. So I guess for me, it just kind of like reaffirmed that I need to be active and involved in things if I want to see real change and that my voice is powerful, but only as a part of a collective. Yay! Hell yeah. Right. Hell yeah. <laughs> Who wants to go next? I can go. I can. Okay. <laughs> Awkward. Yeah, I mean, a lot of this has been prevalent on social media. And I think a lot of people are content with like, oh, I posted a black square, I'm doing something. And obviously, like we know that doesn't all it does is say to your friends, you know, I support the movement, but really, you're not doing anything right. Um, But what I've kind of looked at as a way to make change is having conversations on social media and having uncomfortable conversations on social media. I think there's been like a big movement of if your friends support Trump or they don't support Black Lives Matter, are they really your friends? Um, And I've been kind of looking at that more as like an opportunity to have a conversation because I know I'm sure people of color are 
exhausted trying to explain all this to people. And if if I'm able to get through to somebody, I'm going to keep talking. Um, I also, I, I went to a march yesterday. It was really cool. But it wasn't cool because there was kind of like an assumption among all the white speakers there that like, hey, because the cops sanctioned this event, they're great. They're not racist. But then we're walking along and the people behind us are talking about all the times I got racially profiled. And it's like, you can't, you know, say one thing, but then just like ignore what people of color are saying. So I think a lot of this has just been like listening. That is wicked important. And I wish more people would just listen. That's what I got. What does that mean? It's my turn now? Yeah. your turn. I think that my activism has changed a lot in the past couple of years, generally speaking. I work in an organization where my department specifically has been going through a lot of the like real difficult work regarding racial equity for the past couple of years. So a lot of the conversations I think that are being prevalently had right now are conversations that I started having a couple of years ago. And I don't mean that in like a holier than thou, better than anyone sort of way. It especially because it it came about in large part because of like tensions in my workplace, which is never good, you know? Um, But something that I've never been good at throughout my entire life is confrontation. (laughs) Harmony and Megan can probably, yeah, they're nodding right now. I'm just really not, (laughs) I'm not a confrontational person and I would much rather just kind of like quietly disagree with people and like go on doing what I know is, my own right thing. So I think that for me, the biggest way that's changed is that like, I'm not just speaking up about what I think is right, but I've actually been engaging a lot more in like the confrontation aspect of things, which I know sounds really, really small. And I promise that's not all that I'm doing. But for me, like as a character leap has been really big and like the uncomfortable space for me to really be inhabiting right now, because that's just like not who I am at all. I'm a pretty introverted and shy person unless I'm really comfortable in social situations. Um, And even sometimes when I am comfortable in social situations. So like pushing myself to really take everything that I've been privileged enough to be like dealing with and learning for the past couple of years as it sort of relates to my workplace. And then actually like not just shouting that information out into the void and letting it sit, but like really trying to sort of drill it into others has, I think, for me been a really pivotal moment, if any of that makes sense. Now, somebody, as somebody that's known you for like 12 years, that's huge. Because I feel like traditionally, I've been the one that gets into fights and you're the one that's like, bitch, no! So like the fact that you're embracing the confrontation is like, yes, I love it. (laughs) It's amazing. Maggie helped me confront someone today because I think I'm similar to you, Meg, and that like I also seek out confrontation usually. But there was someone I was scared to confront and Maggie like gave me a line by line how to do it. So Maggie is so really good at it. She's so good at it. It's scary. I, the amount of times I've copied and pasted things that you said to me to say to somebody else is frightening. <laughs> Well, it's easy when you're not the person who actually has to deal with the, like, pushback of it, right? To be fair, uh, it's different when you 
have to just sit there by yourself and do it. But I also think that that's why sometimes it's useful to talk to the, to other people when you're having conversations like that, because even if you don't need somebody to like help you like line by line, go through something, sometimes it just feels good to know you're not alone in the face of confrontation. And I think that's been something that's really helpful for me as I've been sort of changing my mentality on that. And who knows, maybe it's going to leak into other places of my life. Maybe I'll stop being such a doormat, but uh, you know, we'll see. You're not a doormat. You are not a doormat. (laughs) I can be sometimes. I see you. You're a badass bitch, Maggie. All right, let's talk about zines, what we came here to talk about. So what what are zines, Meg? So zines, I have my lovely research here. Zines are a limited circulation, self-published book or magazine. So they're usually free, generally assembled by hand or like in a DIY style, and then you photocopy them for distribution. So like think of flyer, but in magazine format, that's pretty much what you're looking at. That's super cool. And you said DIY, so they all look like homemade stuff. Like they're the sort of thing that people can make by themselves without any extra equipment except for oh yeah and i would i wouldn't say like all of them just because especially with the advent of the internet there are a lot of people that will collage stuff in adobe and then post it on the internet so it's a little more accessible to you know people around the world but yeah they did start out that way i still make mine by hand literally all you need is scissors and a pair of glue or even if you just want to like write draw whatever so easy, so accessible. That's why we love them. You touched a little bit on how you make zines. Can you explain to us a little bit about like your personal relationship with zines and how you kind of came to them as an art form and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. So zines, I didn't know they existed until my first year in art school. And I took this like collage class and it was like one. So our classes were like eight hours a day, once a week. Instead of like, so like we'd have one thing we did each week and one week it was zines and something about, I don't know, for me, like cutting things out and gluing them down is really meditative. I really enjoy that for some reason. And I've also always wanted to do like poetry or writing, but I didn't think I was very good at it. But I found out that when I combine my words with pictures in kind of like a little mini book format, it gets across what I want. And The ability to create zines that year really helped me process a lot of what I was going through with like my PTSD. I had just been through like some crazy shit. Um, I didn't really know how to tell my story through just pictures. So that's when I started making zines, throwing some words in there. And Maggie remembers, I did this like series called Things I Cannot Say to You. And it was just like little zines, but it was like, all the stuff I wanted to say to people, but I didn't want to actually say it to them. And I did like a 30 copy run of each one. And I would be like, if you want these, like put your address on my Instagram or like in my DMs and I'll mail them out to you. And it was a cool way to like get my thoughts out there without like getting them out there. If you know what I mean? Um, Yeah, it was really fun. So, and I've, I've kept doing them off and on. Just because I'm not in art school anymore, I don't really, unfortunately, I've not dedicated time to my practice just because there's so much insane shit going on. But it's just so easy to jump back into. So, yeah. 
I still have like five or six copies of things I never told you floating around my house. You they, should they like, honestly to- just put them in mailboxes or something. They tend to just like find their way into my books and then I open my books and I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. That's beautiful. Wait, so did this start off as like a mental health practice for you? And is it still a mental health practice? Like, is that primarily what you write about, self-expression? Yes to both, actually. And like, it, it technically started out as like an art school assignment. But like, do art school assignments really stay art school assignments? No, <laughs> unless they suck. Um, but yeah, I just... Combine it was combining the words and the pictures that really like I was like I can kind of use this as like a therapy thing and so I my sister also has PTSD and she did art therapy for a while and what she was doing was basically taking old books reading it was like a poetry book reading the poems reflecting on them and then drawing on them or pasting stuff onto them just as like a meditative practice and that also was really what influenced me to bring like my mental health experiences into that so um yeah I mean when I do make a zine it's generally like there's some shit on my mind I gotta get it out so yeah that's awesome Maggie do you want to ask the yeah it's really cool I like the multimedia (laughs) aspect like I like that it's a different way to engage with things like poetry it's like coloring but without colors if that makes any sense. Yeah, it's cool. That is very cool. Because then you're like, you're adding your own spin to something that's already pre-made. I get it. Yep. Do you want to ask the next question, Maggie? Yeah, I definitely can. I'm reflecting back on things I never told you. When it first got published, Megan messaged me and she goes, so I have to talk to you. And I was like, are you, what, what's going on? And she goes, one of these things is something I felt like I couldn't tell you. And she didn't want me to move to Washington because this was our senior year of college. So I I just, it always makes me laugh when I think about things I never told you because like there was this really funny conversation that ended up happening between the two of us. But I'm glad um, it happened. That I kind of forgot about it. Like, it's awesome that 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 shit started like opening up conversations for me. You know? But yeah, I did. I I made that about you and I was like, I, I need to just fucking talk to her like <laughs> <laughs> not just send her a zine here interpret this this yeah, is my like, emotion about you <laughs> yeah i just sort of forgot about it until you brought it up right now can you okay so i guess moving more from the like personal to the the more macro level can you tell us a little bit about the history of zines oh yeah so i love this because it's just I feel like the history of zines is like everything I'm interested in as a person. So, so the first zine, by the way, my source for this is a mental floss article. I'm going to link you all my sources later just because that shit's important. Um, so yeah, the first zine was thought to have been created in the 1930s and it was called the comet and it was made for this like science fiction correspondence club in Chicago And basically, fans wanted to talk to each other instead of, like, constantly writing, like, pissed-off letters to the widely published magazines. So they made their own little sci-fi magazines that published fan addresses so people could keep in touch with each other. And then I kind of went from there. There's a very long-standing link between the sci-fi genre and zines. 
which they were actually called fanzines until the 50s. And then they kind of like started to go into the comic book and the horror genres in the 50s and the 60s. Um, but yeah, they kind of started out as this, like weird, like we want to talk about aliens, but we don't need the middleman. So like, give me your address so we can like hit each other up. <laughs> like, it was pretty cool. Yeah, that's super duper cool. So are they like fan forums or fan fiction? That was one of my original. It was a little bit of everything. I think it kind of started out as like opinion based stuff. Like it was like their own little op-ed thing. But then, you know, it was like, well, we have fan content we want to publish. So like why don't we just do it ourselves? Um, so yeah, it was like archive of our own, but in the thirties and about sci-fi. That is so weird to think about. <laughs> right? Right? It's so yeah. it's so random too. Like of all of the genres that could have started this, it was like the aliens, which goes back to our conversation about how aliens are coming. Um, so yeah, do you want me to keep going or? Okay. So uh, in the 70s, we had new technology, which was the photocopier, which is my favorite piece of modern tech. And this allowed for zines to be mass produced really quickly and really cheaply. So previously, people were using mimeographs, which is just like tedious and horrible. It was like the photocopier before there was a photocopier. It sucked. (laughs) Um, So at this point, punk subculture adopted zines. As we know, Punk is very DIY, so this is, like, a great way to spread news about shows and stuff in a very grungy, handmade fashion. And these became really popular among punk people. Lou Reed actually was featured in a zine called Punk, so that's pretty cool. And then Punk eventually kind of, like, sold the fuck out and got popular, so zines faded into obscurity. However, we have the 90s to save us. All was quiet on the zine front until the 90s. So Riot Girl, which is a music scene and an eventual, it was a movement of DIY feminism, adopted the zine, which it was a great way to encourage girls to make their own bands and their own zines and a way for them to interact with other females, spread the word about the movement, especially when traditional publications wouldn't necessarily publish on the subject of third wave feminism, which is like the biggest thing about zines. It's controlled by the artist. You can get your shit out there. Nobody's like, hey, we can't publish this. That's just one of the best things about it. And yeah, eventually Riot Girl became like its own political movement. According to Mental Floss, again, that was like my main source for this little timeline. It was great. By 1993, there were an estimated 40,000 zines in publication in North America. So pretty cool. Yeah. And that's today. They're used for like promos, political activism, and a bunch of other topics. They're self-distributed, sold on websites like Etsy, or found in zine fairs and art shows. Personally, I just hit up Instagram and I'm like, here's a zine. Send me your address. I'll send it to you for free. But there's a lot of ways to do it. You know, it's interesting because one of the guiding questions that we asked you as you were sort of thinking about that timeline was when zines made the switch from sort of like fandom culture to being more activist based but like there is also part of me that feels like with the story of wanting to cut out the middleman and share opinions and stuff that like in a way it's sort of inherently based in activism you know even if it wasn't necessarily overtly political sort of in the ways in which the political is personal and the personal is political it it feels very like 
our voices matter and it sh- we shouldn't be dependent on somebody who can censor us to say our opinions and things like that. Like we should just be able to put it out there, which is not a way I've ever really thought about those like 1930s zines before. Yeah, it's funny because it's inherently like very political, very fuck the man. But at the same time, it's also very fan content. And like you, if you go on like, like I'm Overwatch trash. You guys know this. I'm Overwatch trash. They (laughs) distribute zines like crazy on Tumblr about Overwatch pairings and stuff. Like you can find them literally anywhere about any topic. And I think it's just the fact that the artist is in control you're not dealing with like like painting is so controlled by who you know and who can get you into a gallery this is like if you want it get it it's awesome you said earlier that some zines or you said that zines don't typically charge money i feel like i've seen zines that charge money is there i'm confused yeah so some do some don't a lot of them don't because they're just ways to get information out there. But I think when you're looking at the internet, you're going to see a lot of zines that do charge money just because, you know, it's, it's the internet marketplace. It's Etsy. It's whatever you're using, but like zines that you find in the wild, you just find them in the wild. Like when I was at the SMFA, I'd be walking around and I'd find like four different zines just laying around. Because the whole point is to just catch the attention of the passerby and be like, hey, this is happening. So it really depends on where you're looking for them. Um, But that's not to say that it's bad if zines charge money, especially if, you know, the funds that they're using go to something good. But when you're trying to get information out there, you want it to be accessible to everyone. And I think one of the paramount features of the zine is its accessibility. So for that reason, I think it's good for a lot of activism related zines not to charge just to get the info out there but you know that's your prerogative as an artist so yeah i think it's interesting because this topic really speaks to the tension in the art world about the fact that you know exposure isn't payment and that art and artists really deserve to be compensated but i think that listening to everything that you've been saying about the point of zines especially the point that you made about zines versus painting is that like because zines are completely in control of the artist, there's also a level of autonomy there where it doesn't necessarily need to yeah. be money dependent if, if I'm kind of picking up what you're putting down. Whereas like a lot of times with paintings and stuff, um, you're collaborating with someone and a lot of times you're collaborating with someone so that you will ultimately be able to catch the eye of and get compensated to the highest degree if that's what you're looking for. And a lot of artists are like, I commissioned a piece from Meg two, two years ago, a year and a half ago for a show that I was curating and putting up. And I would like to think that I gave her a lot of freedom to do what she wanted, but like, I was also the curator and I did have a lot of, we had a lot of conversations about that piece. Like my opinion mattered. It wasn't just Megan able to like run off and do whatever she was doing and part of that was because it needed to fit in with the theme of the show but it was also technically for sale as well yeah and i did feel like i had freedom and also just to clarify i am not saying you shouldn't seek payment for your work you should totally do that you deserve to get paid exposure is not payment fuck anybody that tells you that i'm just like putting it out there that the zines that aren't asking for payment are probably doing that just so they can 
get an ideology or you know like time and date of an event out there so it's just a different purpose but yeah no like the whole like oh exposure is payment like fuck that that shit makes me so mad (laughs) no i definitely get it i have another question too kind of along those lines so most of my exposure to zines has been like going to bookstores and seeing it or going to like my local witch shop and seeing it but these are often like really nice zines and like maybe like it's They don't look like they were necessarily just printed out of somebody's random printer. And so I'm wondering if there is a point where a zine becomes a different sort of publication than just that zine. Yes. And between zines and artist books can get super blurry. Um, And it's kind of like a definition that's specific to you. I personally think like for me, a zine is something that you produce on your own or you produce with like a collaborative, you kind of just give it out, you know, whatever the zines that are like really nicely put together and for sale at bookstores. Like I don't want to take away their title of zine, but like just personally, I view that more as an artist book, you know, and it it is hard to, I don't, (laughs) it's a tough question. (laughs) Um, and it's a personal question. Um, if you label your work as a zine, it's a zine. If you label it an artist book, it's an artist book. Um, but it it's a tough it's a tough discrepancy there. So, and the zine has evolved a lot too. Again, with like new technology, um, you know, we have a lot more indie bookstores around. Like that's inherently going to change how a zine is viewed. So, it's not like the '30s when you just. <laughs> ran off and wrote stuff down and handed it out you know it's it's different now <laughs> that's cool though so it, it sounds though that this evolution is making it slightly less less available or less um accessible so like if we have indie bookstores and we have nicer zines and or artist books does that make it less accessible to the public and does that take away from the point of a zine i mean it certainly can but you i mean for all the artist books you see for sale in indie bookstores, you have a ton of zines that are just being passed out on the street. Um, they don't really negate each other. They still exist. Um, and it really depends. There are multiple points of zines. Personally, I really have adopted the punk DIY purpose of a zine, which is just get your art out there. It's for fun. It's to get information out. It's, you know, it's not like I'm trying to get the attention of this crazy artist person. It's, it's more personal for me, but there are people that view it differently. And I don't think that changes how a zine presents itself. I don't think that changes the definition of a zine, but it, and I mean, like they are accessible. I do get frustrated when I see zines that are trying to promote something that are kind of behind a wall, especially if it's like, you're trying to promote a political movement. You're trying to help minorities. You're trying to help, you know, poor people. But, like, it's for sale for a certain amount of money. You're not giving people the accessibility they need to get that information. That's maybe something to think about. But I'm not the gatekeeper of zines, so. <laughs> so I guess moving on to some of those practicalities then, coming off of the fact that, like, there's sort of these two subgenres of zines and multiple different ways to get them and they're sort of out in the wild like you were saying what are some good places where like 
we can look at zines, where we can get zines. So I have many things here. There are actually some like little libraries that have zines that you can look at faux free, which is really cool. For my Boston peeps, Papercut Zine in Somerville is great. Good place to look at them. Um, I didn't find anything for New York, but I wasn't really looking that hard. I was trying to get, I know, but they're, they're, they're there. New York is fucking huge. Like I promise. And then for our Seattle listeners, the zine archive and publishing project has some stuff. And I can talk about like quote unquote popular zines too, if you want. That's a tough subject too. Cause like it's kind of a niche underground movement. It's kind of coming into the fold a little more, but it's still on the DL. I can tell you pretty confidently that like famous artists like Jeff Koons don't have zines. Also, <laughs> fuck Jeff Koons, but that's just me. <laughs> that's a different podcast. What? I said that's a different podcast. Uh, yeah, yeah. Don't get me started. I'll talk forever. Um, so what I did was I... You know, Etsy is like the place to go for for artist stuff, and I have I have some issues with Etsy, but again, I'm not going to get into that. But <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, but I went on Etsy to check out what's popular, and I found some examples of like the versatility and general dopeness of the zine. Hashtag boring self care by Hannah Daisy, which is it's a self care magazine. It's cool. Um, self-care is important. She's getting it out there. Plants Against the Patriarchy by Shop Cosmophilia, which is cool. And then my personal favorite, Hungry for a Conspiracy, which is a conspiracy theory related coloring book by Mixed Species. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. We love it. We love it. And then I did a little bit on artists of color. We really need to lift those people up right now. And they have some incredible work. So I want to talk about Rays, it's R-A-I-X, and that zine, that's pronounced like the Spanish word for root, and it comes from the South Texas border community. So think of like the, the tip of Texas on the bottom, and I, I, I wouldn't say I'm involved in Texas politics, but I've done a lot of research. I'm into like Blue Texas 2020, Texas Freedom Network, all that stuff. It's big down here, believe it or not. There are a lot of liberals down here, which is wicked cool. Um, that zine works with the Texas Freedom Network Education Fund, as well as the La Frontera Fund. And it, quote, works to challenge narratives about gender and queer identities, reproductive justice, and border communities. So that one's a really good one to check out. Um, we also have True Laurels by Lawrence Burney. That's based out of Baltimore, and it kind of goes over the music and art scene there. It also, and this is like, the coolest it has a diary section that contains the firsthand accounts from artists so they kind of have a space to just like talk about whatever's on their mind you get like the perspective from them which is really cool um and there's a great article from impose magazine that goes over specifically that zine's contents and origin can we link that somehow at some point yes dope yeah that's it's a great article it's really cool and finally we have the 10th zine which serves this quote serves as an outlet for black and brown queer bodies to express themselves with unapologetic ingenuity and sincerity. Um, I have a link for that too. It's been going since 2014 and it has like 80 contributors or something like that. So I highly recommend that one too. There's a lot out there though. Really like just Google zines by whoever and you'll find stuff. 
That's amazing. It's a bigger topic than you would expect. It is a really big topic. It, yeah. I'm also like thinking back to our early con- earlier conversation because like I've seen the 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 plants. What was the plant one that you talked about? Like plants against the patriarchy. Yeah, I've seen that sold in bookstores. And so I'm wondering if that's free and if like bookstores are taking it and then selling it. It's not free. Okay. It was everything that I mentioned from Etsy is money. Okay. It's, it's money. Okay. Yeah. So, but still worth supporting those artists and buying them, especially like I love the coloring book scenes. That shit is so fun. Like that's a lot of, and again, that's a lot of really talented like artists, like draw, drawers. That's not the word I'm looking for. Wine artists? I don't know. People that can do coloring book shit. That like are trying to get their work out there. Like buy a little coloring book and do it. Like it's cool. That is really awesome. I love that. I don't think it's a zine, but I do have, and I posted on our our Instagram recently, a vagina coloring book and it is the most fun. Yeah. It is a good way to get I saw that. (laughs) I was like on your Instagram and I was like, is that a JJ? I dig it. Like, <laughs> all right. So my next question, in terms of going back to the activism aspect, is this a more accept? Is this more accessible than other forms of activism? And I guess our other forms of activism would be like protests or community meetings. How does this bring other people into the fold? That's a great question. I would say definitely in the age of Miss Rona, it makes activism a little more accessible i know there are a lot of people that like will not go to protests or cannot go to protests especially because of coronavirus um that or they live in very conservative communities or you know communities where you're gonna get totally fucked if you protest you know i don't my words just stopped but you know what i mean (laughs) so in that case honestly just make a zine and distribute that shit into people's mailboxes like it it's easy for everyone as long as you have the ability to like fold a piece of paper write your shit down get it out there um i'm trying it's hard it's hard to quantify like if it's more accessible than other forms of protest especially with social media um and it's tough because you still do. I mean, we were talking earlier about whether zines should be free or whether they should be. You do want to get paid for your art if you're doing it. We do want to support artists of color, too. Like, if there was an artist of color that had a zine, I'd be like, I pay for that. Like, so I think it's, again, a deeply personal thing. But if I, if it were me, if I were living in a place where I couldn't protest, I couldn't really get the Black Lives Matter movement out there, I'd be like, Let's make a zine. Let's give that out. Let's leave it places. It's like found art. It is like found art. I love that. I wish I had a printer. That's so smart. But you don't even need a printer, girl. Oh, I can do it digitally. No, I can also write it out. My handwriting is really bad. (laughs) All you need is a piece of paper, too, if you want to just, like, write stuff. That's true. That's true. But no one would be able to read it for me. But other people should do that. Fair. Yes. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) My handwriting got so much better when I started making zines. I will tell you that right now. 
do you guys want to talk about digital zines when, in terms, because we're talking about accessibility. So how has that changed the zine scene? Like having these things posted digitally for people? Yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking about the Riot Girl movement, trying to get people across the country aware and involved in that. We do have, the U.S. is large. There are a lot of communities that do not have access to the same art scenes that we see in urban areas. So that access to the internet and access to these resources is huge. It's huge. Anybody can see this stuff. Um, and again, that does bring the, the thing about like paying for paying for zines. Because if you want to get paid for it, you put that shit behind a paywall or you put it on Etsy um, versus like traditionally the practice of, you know, leaving zines around or mailing them out to people. But it's a good way to get paid for your work. It's a good way to get your get your shit out there. Um, I I think it's definitely interesting too um, to see the difference between a handmade zine and a zine that somebody put together in like Photoshop or did like digitally. It's it's interesting for sure. It's cool. So I think definitely it's gotten a little more accessible with the internet. I'd also like to ask about community too. So like, let's say mm-hmm. I'm living in bumfuck nowhere and it's all white. And like, let's say I'm a person of color. Like maybe I'm a Latinx queer skateboarder and I want to find other Latinx queer skateboarders. Would a zine be able to help me? And like, Maybe. Have you heard any instances of that, of that like community building for people that just need to connect? I I guess the Riot Girl movement Um, would be kind of an example. Yeah, the Riot Girl movement for sure. I'm just thinking about like all those girls that grew up in like Indiana in the 90s and had like super conservative parents and they were like, I want to be a punk rocker. And they got a Z in the mail and they were like, oh my God, I can do it. Like, yeah, that's huge. So, like, apply that to your situation, I'm sure it's happened. That's pretty cool. I think that's probably also a place where, like, digital stuff helps, you know? Because it's not dependent on people in your community, you know, like, going door-to-door and distributing their work, right? Like, you can, I think, probably search more effectively um, for the community that you are in need of at that moment, you know? For sure. Yep. But then you do have people without internet access and that's like, okay, then we can switch back to paper. It's so versatile. Not to get too off track from our episode outline, but this entire thing, I like just discovered what anarchists are about a month ago. And so now I'm really into this, but this entire thing sounds like a very anarchist sort of medium. And I was wondering, because yep. <laughs> it's not bureaucratic <laughs> and no one can tell you no, and it's equal opportunity. Yeah. It's very self-governed or not governed, which is pretty cool. And when Baby Anarchist Meg found out about that, Baby Anarchist Meg was very pleased. And I think that's why so many people have embraced the movement. Nobody's telling you what to do. Nobody's telling you what you can and can't do. It's all you. Zine community is like its own little anarchy bubble. It's great. Megan was talking about the fact that when... Baby Meg, baby anarchist Meg found out about zines. She was really excited because she was a baby anarchist and she saw the the intersection. That was where she was at. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, my God. Yes. It was cool. And, like, there's no rules. There's nobody telling you what to do. It's great. 
it's a nice little escape from the quite honestly like fascist bullshit that's going on right now so we love it it's very cool so i think originally for this episode we were going to like look at a particular zine and talk up like kind of try to analyze it actually you know what if i send you guys via instagram i found a great zine just on instagram so let me passive voices for cowards oh so cool yeah can we read it can we yeah. read it out loud yeah. let's read it i'll read the first the, i'll read the title we'll thing. take turtle popcorn <laughs> popcorn <laughs> harmony passive voices for cowards a life and death grammar lesson you popcorning one of us i'm popcorning someone okay Go. i'll popcorn myself <laughs> um Passive voice is a grammatical style where writers obscure or diminish the actor in a sentence. How was, quite, quote, (laughs) mistakes were made different than I made mistakes. Sometimes you don't know the actor, so you have to keep it vague. But often passive voice obscures responsibility. So passive, cyclist was struck by a truck and died, intentionally or unintentionally. Active, a truck driver struck and killed a person on a bike. Popcorn Maggie. Journalists have a bad habit of using passive voice when they feel uncomfortable naming a perpetrator. Quote, ooh, I'm going to get an angry phone call. Let's revise. Active voice. U.S. drone strike kills 60 people. Passive. 60 people die in drone strike. Official government language, writers, internal biases, and fear of backlash create a Venn diagram in this scene where passive voice is sort of at the center of all of these things. Nowhere is passive voice more widespread and insidious than in our language around police. Popcorn harmony. Official government turns combine with passive voice to obscure the people who commit violence. Yes, here's a headline. Protests held on behalf of man who died during arrest in Minneapolis. Man who died during arrest. Who killed him? The next headline is, Four Minneapolis officers fired after death a black man. Who fired them? And again, who killed the man? The New York Times tweeted, Mayor Jacob Frey of Minneapolis tweeted Tuesday afternoon that four officers involved in the arrest of a man who died after being handcuffed and pinned to the ground by an officer's knee had been fired. This convoluted tweet places the responsibility on a, quote, an officer's knee. Police officers don't hurt people. They're, quote, involved in use of force incidents, end quote. And the last, the back. Yeah, Meg. Yeah. (laughs) The language we use matters. Our word choice shapes the way we see the world and who takes action in it. So there was an officer-involved shooting versus... A police officer shot a man. That was a good one. That's great. Thank you, Sarah Merck. Go follow her on Instagram. Yes, follow her on Instagram. Por favor, I'm putting this on my Instagram story right now. We should do that, that too. Really good. Yeah, for sure. Um, and that's a great example of a zine that, like, I you don't think about that. You really don't. But... So many of these news articles, these tweets are using passive language to take the blame off of police officers. And this zine really draws attention to it. And the fact that she put it on her Instagram, thank you, Sarah Merck, um, means that everybody can see this and everybody can start thinking about how those passive voice examples are harming people. 
that's what I mean when I say don't paywall it. Let people hear it. I also think she did something really clever in pulling out quotes that aren't necessarily like attributed to anyone specifically, just sort of the news sources themselves. Because while she's talking about it with journalists, this is the way everyone talks about violence um, in general and also in other areas of life where passive voice is equally as harmful. So she's offering examples in a way that like showcase the problem, but I think in a way that really calls people in versus calling people out. And I feel like in this case specifically calling people in is a really useful way to have this conversation. And I really appreciated that. Yeah, for sure. That was really well done. I also really appreciate that as a former journalist, because I hate when people call out individual journalists because they have a lot of pressure on them already. And um, a lot of this stuff, it's institutional. Like this is just how they're taught to write. So I think that you're right, Maggie. She did a really good job of making sure that we understood that it was an institutional it was an institutional problem. And that's why we talk about violence that way. It's because the big media sources do. And they talk about it that way because they have to uphold like their corporate sponsorships and they don't want to upset them. Yeah. So fuck big media and fuck capitalism. Yes. That's what every episode has come back to, I think, for the past six weeks. It's just like, fuck capitalism. Can I just get that tattooed on my forehead, please? Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, yesterday we upset anyone who was a moderate and a listener, and today we're just continuing that trend. Cool. So, apparently we are an anti-capitalist podcast now. You thought we were feminist, but tricky, tricky trick. You can't be feminist and Tricky, tricky trick, bitch. Uh, was there anything we thought that could be approved in the scene or is this just like this is typically what a zine is like it's black and white for listeners uh everything looks to be hand drawn i mean yeah that's that's pretty much what mine look like except i'm a bad drawer so i replaced those with like i don't want to say appropriated images but like i just cut stuff out of other stuff and make it different stuff and then glue it into my stuff. So yeah, I mean, that's a lot of them. Um, Some people will type up their words and paste them in. Some scenes don't have words, some scenes don't have pictures, but I'd say this is a pretty like solid example of a zine. And I also do want to mention the folding and cutting that is involved with getting your zine exactly how you want it to be in the right order is really hard. (laughs) There are like 20 different ways to do it. I should like, I don't know if I have it here, but I have this like diagram that I use when I make zines for like the order the pages are supposed to go in. So when I have my zine before I cut it and assemble it, it's like nonsense. It looks like a crazy person made it, but really it's pre-assembly. So that's just like a weird, complicated thing too. Something I think I also appreciate about zines in general that we haven't really mentioned yet is that like the zine that we just talked about by Sarah Merck, they're typically short, sweet, and to the point um, where it's like you, I think as a consumer of zines are able to get like a bite-sized amount of information and really chew on that and take that then as a way to move on to other ways and other learning in a way that I think is super accessible um, and sort of needed in activism right now, where there's a a lot of um, 
people coming to this realization that everything they thought they knew about the world is wrong and that they need to re-educate themselves. And I think that if you're feeling overwhelmed by how much information there is and how much that you need to wade through, starting with zines could actually be a really great way to go about that because you're able to take in relevant information in small portions and actually chew on it rather than trying to read an entire article or an entire book and processing all of that information at once right and it's really scary to realize like oh shit i have been looking at things completely the wrong way um and i think for that reason a lot of people just stay set in their ways because they just don't want to put in the effort of like you know like let me retrain my brain let me like learn and zines it's short and sweet and that's how you learn that's what i was trying to say all right i have a controversial query are zines like print memes because i feel like that's how a lot of people these days learn is through memes yeah are they like print memes or no because memes often give us false or oversimplified information they totally can be um i don't want to generalize (laughs) all memes or all zines but you can totally like make that control space into a zine and call it a meme like that that's a thing yeah and i definitely say be careful about the zines you read and make sure the information is accurate because again the beauty of anarchy is nobody's controlling that shit so you might be getting wrong information but i think in general like zine creators are a little bit more responsible than the people that are trolling other people on Facebook with memes. So, but yeah, that that is a thing for sure. <laughs> Do we know of any like alt right scenes, or does that is this not I, a medium that, that is a good people... question? <laughs> I'm gonna consult Google because I I am sure that there is something out there like that. All right. Well, because historically, it sounds like, from what you've told us, outside of, like, the fact that this used to be a sci-fi thing, it sounds like it really was uh, a mode for the disenfranchised. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, the anarchist movement has really, you know, adopted this art form. Um, I I don't see anything on Google, so hopefully not. Like, leave <laughs> zines alone to take one. Email us if you find an alt-right zine. Just don't send us the Yeah, zine. for sure. I mean, like, I just inherently what a zine is, it it's not conducive to the alt-right ideology, I feel like. It's very suited towards anti-capitalism, anarchist ideology, which is cool. And I think that's probably why. I, I have not heard of any alt-right zines. I'd like to keep it that way. So, yeah. You heard it here first, folks. Meg has declared that the alt-right is uncool. And I'm the zine queen, so you have so, to listen to Do with to that me. what you will. <laughs> That's Maggie's done with Meg face, by the way. <laughs> Maggie, you have anything else you want to add? <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm really thinking about the flexibility of zines, I think, as a way to both call people into a movement of activism, but also as a way to offer comfort and community to people who have been, you know, marginalized for 400 years and have been screaming this from the rooftops for pretty much that entire time. Because I think that there's lots of modes of activism that are very, like, either 
you're new here, so like you need to be educated and then you can really come participate for us, or are really focused for and made from people of color who have been experiencing this for forever. And I think that both of those spaces are extraordinarily important to have, especially the latter for people of color to be able to come together and to be like in solidarity with each other as people who don't need to be educated about all of these things. Because like Meg was saying Mm -hmm. before, Black people are clearly and understandably exhausted by this point. And I like the fact that zines are a way of activism where you can kind of have both of those things and even more than that existing in the same medium in the same space just depending who you are and where you're coming from and what zines that you're looking at and what zines you have accessibility to I think that flexibility is really I don't know a wonderful and lovely place in activism oh show and by the way people listening if you don't feel comfortable going to a march you don't have the money to donate one of the easiest things you can do is promote black artists just get on your instagram find your favorites post that shit on your story it's so easy give these people the platforms that they deserve that's my two cents just that is the easiest thing you can do and 10 points to gryffindor if it's black artists that are talking about what's going on right now yes (laughs) <laughs> I actually, I, and Maggie, you would appreciate this. Peabody Essex Museum did like a thing on Nick Cave. I think I put it on my story. I don't remember, but it was really good. I think it was about like, he did something about police brutality in like 2018, but it's like super relevant, obviously now too. I love Nick Cave. The year we graduated, he put up an entire installation at mass mocha that was also about police brutality actually now that i'm now that i'm thinking about it he's definitely a voice that's been active in this movement for pretty much his whole career and also has really interesting and unique ways through his very eccentric medium (laughs) in certain ways of like talking about these things so yeah definitely check him out among the you know trillion of other black artists out there who are also, frankly, less popular and less well-known than Nick Cave. Yes, local artists. Look at your local artists. I had a friend of mine that is an artist in the DFW area just sent me, like, a bunch of people that are local and, like, need a platform. And, yeah, do it. Okay. Do we want to talk about what we're reading? Sure. I'm reading absolute trash right now. Ooh, okay. I'm reading – have you guys heard of Leanne Moriarty? Yes. She did, like, Big Little Lies. Yes. <laughs> it, it's trash. It's, like, books about, like, no, seriously, about, like, rich, middle-aged white women that have crazy stuff happen to them. Like, oh, my God, my husband died and left me, like, a letter with, like, this huge secret. Or, like, oh, my God, I hit my head during spin class and I forgot the last 10 years of my life. Like, it's garbage, but I love it. I can't stop. Yeah. That's what I'm reading right now. Yay! Wait, wait, so is it Big Little Lies? Is that the title? Or She wrote Big Little Lies, which, by the way, if you haven't read the book, I literally finished it in an hour because I couldn't put it down. So good. But she did a bunch of other ones, too. Also, the sequel or the prequel to The Hunger Games just came out. I'm reading that, too. That's very cool. It's good. I didn't know that. Good. That She's from, okay, yeah, that's cool. My my, <laughs> I taught her daughter Kelly Guide. That's very cool. You taught her daughter. <laughs> what, what Harmony was about to say is that Suzanne Collins is from, lives in the town that Megan and I grew up in. Yes. And she's like super nice and not 
the person you would think writes about children killing each other. It's yeah. kind of awesome. That's her form of activism. It's true. Yeah, <laughs> it's dope. We love it. Uh, what are y'all reading, Mom? I actually have, because The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes just came out, there's been like this whole resurgence of people like going back and reviewing The Hunger Games. And like, I think that there's this really big misconception, largely because Suzanne Collins is like a female author and she's writing in a YA category that like The Hunger Games is kind of just like preteen girl trash, which is a bad opinion to be holding about anything anyways. But like, the Hunger Games and the reviews and the in-depth analysis you can do of that trilogy and how it's like potentially about climate change and it's definitely about like the disenfranchisement of people of color and like really is just this huge pointing at all the people who like really love it and made it really popular about the fact that you are the people living in Panem and like all of your entertainment comes from the bread and circuses is like really in-depth and interesting um and people are really sleeping on the hunger games i think because they just think that it doesn't have very much substance but it does team pita <laughs> yeah that too what am i reading i'm still reading war and peace which is becoming the new jonathan strange and mr norell of this podcast and i'm also reading parable of the talent <laughs> by octavia butler that's awesome um i am still reading all the same books that i was reading a few episodes ago so that is they can't kill us all by wesley lowry and i have to open up everything in order to actually find what i'm reading oh brojava the revolution in brojava which i will post again and uh shades of milk and honey by mary robinette kowal and the goblet of fire by turf who shall not be named yes i was waiting for you to say her name (laughs) but i was very pleased that what you said instead i put that on our twitter i'm like so proud of it that's my new thing (laughs) yeah (laughs) all right my homework for myself is to find five zines do you guys have any homework for yourselves this episode episode? oh i'd say make a zine but like I got a lot of stuff going on right now. Um, My homework is to find a book that is not about a middle-aged white woman that falls and hits her head during spin class. Octavia Butler. Everything that's going on right now just keeps making me think about Octavia Butler. And (laughs) Maggie? Uh, I think that I specifically would like to find a couple of zines on Etsy made by people of color and buy them to specifically be supporting people of color in this trying time. That's a good homework. That's a good homework. All right. Is that all, folks? That is all, folks. And this is this is the last so. episode of season one of Rebel Girls Book Club, my friends. Oh, yeah. What? <laughs> I forgot this was the season finale. Well, I'm you the, the finale. finale. You're the finale. Bow down, bitches. (laughs) Yes, this is our finale. Honored. You you should be. You know, we graced you with Meg. So you're welcome. We have 
We're going to come back in August with season two. And our first book is In the Dream House by Carmen Maria Machado. Uh, Keep an eye out on our social media to find out exactly what day in August that we're coming back. And we'll be active on social media all summer as well. But yeah, we're taking a little break because it's time to take a little break. (laughs) (laughs) We deserve it, goddammit. All right. Is that all, folks, for reals? I think that's all, folks, for reals. Goodbye, everyone. Have a great summer. We'll talk to you in August. Bye. You can follow us at Rebel Girls Book Club on Instagram, at Rebel Girls Book Club on Facebook, at Rebel Girls Book One on Twitter, and you can email us at rebelgirlsbookclub at gmail.com. Our theme song is called Pretty Boys Make Me Feel Ugly. And it's by the days. See you soon, and remember to read rebelliously.